yeah, I'm preaching through the book of Mark. This has been an exciting study for me. I've read this gospel as I have the others many, 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 many times, hundreds and hundreds of times. But this is the first time in my 36 years as a pastor that I've ever preached through the book of Mark. And uh, I don't know why I haven't done that. It's the shortest gospel, as I told you when we started. But man, it's been profound and it's been rich. And uh, so I hope that you have a copy of the scriptures. If you do, open your Bible, turn on your tablet, and I hope it works, and, and turn it to Mark chapter 15. I'm going to try to walk through this with you this morning. I think it'll uh, be meaningful to your soul. Oh, I just realized, because usually during transition, I get this ready. So this might be helpful. If, if this goes out, we're going to really beat the Baptist, the brunch. I mean, it's, it's like, man, we're just, just fixing to go. All right, here we go. Somebody's praying like, man, my prayer didn't get answered because it was, uh... well, this morning, as, as we're looking at uh, this particular gospel, I want you to look there in the 15th chapter with me, Jesus and the rulers. He's always encountering uh, the councils of the religious, the holy, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees or whatever. And here he faces governors and he faces Pilate. But looking there in chapter 15, in the first five verses, and then we'll continue to walk through this narrative. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. That right there tells me they had a plan. <laughs> and their plan was to dispose of Jesus. They bound Jesus. They led him away. They took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That is a pivotal critical question that you see there in your notes already three times Jesus replied you have said it and then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes and Pilate asked him aren't you going to answer them what about all these charges they are bringing against you but Jesus said much Jesus said nothing circle it much to Pilate's surprise you know what I learned years ago was from Jesus that sometimes we don't need to open our mouths and that makes a bigger statement in this situation he was standing before this king before this ruler that thought he had the power and we know who had the power it was Jesus and he opened out his mouth so real quickly it's not even in what I'm preaching today but the thought is ringing in my heart it might help somebody sometimes or probably all the time you don't need to vindicate yourself you need to let the Lord vindicate you. I, I know I've been in situations like that where I wanted to uh, be quick of feet, quick of mouth to speak. And sometimes you can speak and you're like, hey, that worked. And other times like you get in trouble. But here, Jesus, he didn't say anything. And Pilate, I believe, is perplexed that he doesn't answer the charges there that are coming against him. And what's interesting is that so many times we, we like to speak because we want to we wanna justify. We want people to know what we've said I mean uh, you could just look at the current day news and I'm not I don't want to be political I, I decided a long time ago I was never going to make this platform a political platform this was always going to be a platform for, for proclaiming the gospel of the riches of Jesus Christ amen and yet you draw your applications and you ask God but in Corinthians right now first Corinthians 2 7 it's just an interesting verse it says the apostle Paul says but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God here that he's talking about they're imparting, they're, they're coming this impartation, they're coming with this word. And so many times Christ is concealed. And, and, and through his public, in the Old Testament, you see Christ in every book. You have to really search it, but he's there, concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ gets so revealed. 
And here in, in this section of Scripture, in, in this narrative, Jesus has been so revealed to the people. He's not been trying to hide himself. He's been trying to tell the people why he came. He came to introduce us to his Father's kingdom, to win us into that kingdom, to take us home to that kingdom. How many of you are glad that Jesus came this morning? And I'm so glad. I mean, man, we're people that have hope, not hopeless. But what I find is interesting is there's these leaders that, that come against Christ, as we read here in this section. And they're radical. They're revolutionary. Uh, they're uh, probably, you know, not the nicest guys here. There's some first century, if you will, liberation army. Does that mean anything to you in history? <laughs> and, and man, they're, they're on the attack. And their attack is uh, calculated, it is pointed, it is vindictive, it is harsh. It is to silence this king by torturing him on a cross, by taking his life away. And they didn't understand that was part of the divine plan of God, that they might take his life away, that he might take his life up. That's next weekend. Don't let me get too far ahead of myself. That's Mark 16, resurrection. But look here in the notes. I, I want you to write across. Somehow in my notes, we, we left off one thing. When I, look, when I was going back over it this weekend, ah, right above these verses, right there under Jesus and the rulers, write down three questions. They're, they're really the same question in a similar form, just put a little different. And Jesus asked these questions. And, and, and I think they're pretty profound for us. But these, it's like, why did Pilate marvel at the silence of Jesus? kind of a good question why did the crowd choose Barabbas instead of Jesus that's that's definitely a question I've asked myself over the years and why did why did Pilate choose to scourge Jesus before crucifixion because if you study crucifixions they did not usually scourge people like this they were already uh just man so torn up and destroyed of bodily form especially the way they did Jesus but they decided that they would mock him and scourge him and make it even worse and we see some of the story but look at look here at the very first in verse one through five are you the king of the Jews and that's what Pilate asked man he says are you are you the king of the Jews and it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell him he says but but hey you you you've said that I, I am and because, you know, they knew that this, you know, these people were like, Jesus is here. There's, there's this kingdom. He's come. Of course, the kingdom they wanted, they wanted a political kingdom because they wanted to be freed of Rome. They wanted to be freed of the tyranny and all the political duress and, and, and all the high taxation. They thought, man, we need a leader. And this Jesus, man, he's the Messiah. And when he comes, and Jesus is like, yeah, I've come. <laughs> but I'm not a political king. I'm a spiritual king. How many of you need a spiritual king this morning? Wait a minute, i got to ask that again. How many need a spiritual king this morning? We all need a spiritual king. Uh, we have political kings and rulers and presidents and ambassadors and governors and mayors and different political realms of authority in our life, and those all serve a purpose, and, and that's good. And, and none of them rises to power without God allowing that to happen. But here, this is the king. This is the one that has great power. But they want to condemn Jesus, and they want to condemn him for blasphemy. Because he's, he says he's God. I mean, they're like, what? You're like, you know, we, we want to trump up some kind of charge on you, but this blasphemous thing. Are you the king of the Jews? Well, you, yeah, so you say. You, you say I am, because he was. But Jesus would put it this way. My kingship is not of this world. My kingship is of heaven. It's of my father's house. And I didn't come to fight. I came to love. I came to serve. I came to give my life away 
is a ransom for many, says one gospel passage. Man, this is a king. This is a king that doesn't bow to the rules and the authority of this world. He's above all things. Our God is above all things. So have a big amen. You know, we used to sing that song around here, Above All Things. Oh, man, it was an awesome song of worship. And matter of fact, it just hit me. Maybe we should have done it this morning. But I love the songs that we've done. And then when Caitlin does the last song today, if you see the pastor just kind of take off in the corner going to glory, you know why. Because it's one of my absolute favorites. So don't choke. Caitlin just thought I was like, like like she needs that she never does man anointed God uses her I'm like man praise God for her okay here we go hey and Caitlin by the way your grandparents are here so do it really good okay so here we go okay so they they uh they they you know when you read scripture you study history they're having to make up stuff because I mean Jesus is perfect he's righteous he's God so and, and and I even think as I've studied this I think Pilate man he, he so much wanted to side with Jesus he's like yeah, I'm reading between the lines here. It's like, this stuff doesn't hold water. Like, I don't, I don't think so. So he really wants to cower down. He wants to like, no, man, I, here, I, I'll give you somebody else. I'll give you that big, big guy, Barabbas. So glad you didn't name your kids Barabbas because that would, that would about be as fun as having your son named Judas, okay? Those are two biblical names that I don't think I'll have to dedicate any kids. If somebody names your kid Barabbas or Judas, that is going to be weird. Okay, here, look at, look at verse 9. Would you like me to release you to the king of the Jews? <laughs> See, that's an amazing to me. It's like, like he had authority. And, and in this world, he did have authority. But we know that God ultimately had the authority. And then verse 12, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And if you notice in all three of those questions, king of the Jews, king of the Jews. King, it's like, yeah, I'm king of the Jews. Deal with it. <laughs> and I suppose they do. But there's greater questions that are coming this morning as, as I look at us. But as is, is, is Jesus just remains utterly silent before Herod, then he gets to go to Pilate, and he really doesn't make a thing here. He's, uh, it's, it's just it's amazing to me. And yet, Christ had come. We've been in all these lessons up to now. And he had awakened the people of the villages. He had awakened the communities by grace and by forgiveness and by pointing men and women and boys and girls to his father and let the children come unto me said jesus i mean he had these profound teachings with such authority where does such authority come from from above because he's jesus because because he's god he he had awakened them there was just indeed this messiahship centered around the thought that this messiah would free us and he will they just, as I said earlier, they wanted to be freed from Rome. They wanted to be freed from government. And Jesus said, no, I want to free you from your sin. I want to free you from your, from your soul, from the things that, that pin you down, things that lock you down. When anxiety overcomes you, when sin issues and, um, and, and all these, uh, you know, whatever it is, this tackling you, these addictions, these, these, these patterns, these, the apostle Paul would say, when these strongholds come against you, those are the things that I came to free you from. Is anybody glad today that Jesus came to set the captive free from the things that hold us back? You see, you know, we can say, oh man, I'm being oppressed by the government. Oh, I'm being oppressed by my mama. I'm being oppressed by my teacher. I'm being oppressed by the, okay, you're oppressed. Okay, I got it now. But what about these other things, oppression of the soul? Who who sets my soul on fire? Who, who sets my soul free? Who liberates me from myself? 
Jesus. That's what I love about Jesus Christ. He's a liberator. He's a, as I told you a few weeks ago, he's a deliverer. You're saying, well, what do I need to be delivered from? Well, that's for you to find out. That's for you and God to talk about. That's for you, if you're married, ask your spouse. Do you think if you ask your spouse seriously, is there anything I need to be delivered from? You think they'd go, no, honey, I don't, nothing. Now, if you've only been married six weeks, probably. They'd probably lie to you. They're so goo-goo. they oh, baby, you're perfect. Like, whatever. But if you've been married more than one year or five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, and somebody says, is there anything I need to be delivered from? They'd probably go, how long you got? I got a list. You thought that was funny, did you, Charles? Okay. But, but we need to get liberated. It's just, it's just, it's just how we are. I, I like the, the verse in Isaiah. Write down Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. It says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And that tells me that God is so supreme, he is so sufficient, he is so powerful, that he is so high above every order of things that I try to set up in this world or against him, that he is just God. You know... There's always different ones that say, well, I'm the Messiah, I'm this, and there's different, these, these different unbiblical Jesus that seem to kind of rise up in false religions and cults or whatever, or then people get into religion and they get into performance and they get into all these things and I'll earn my way, my work somehow will outweigh my bad deeds. You know, I've thought about that theology for decades and I thought, man, that would be a slippery slope. I would hate to know how many good deeds I had to do to outdo the bad deeds to see if somehow I could get into a holy heaven. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a mess. And I suspect you are too. Here's what Jesus would say. Your righteousness is as filthy rags compared to my holiness, my righteousness. You need me. <laughs> You need forgiveness. You, you need a savior. You, you need to run to me. But these, there's no evidence that they can really uh, uh, nail Jesus to the cross, but they trump up these things. They go against him. But look right there in the middle of your page. Look right there in the, the, the box on your worship guide. Start. Put lipstick on it. I, I don't Kiss it. I don't know. What will I do with Jesus? Man, like, I've, I've been preaching here for, I'm in my 23rd season. I mean, I've like... I feel sorry for some of you. You've heard my voice a lot. But what are we going to do with Jesus? I mean, at the end of the day, like, what are you going to do with your football team? Well, I'm going to get a new one. Or I'm gonna do. What are you going to do with your car? Well, you need a new one, man. That's a, that's a piece of junk. What am I going to do with this? Well, I'm going to improve. But here's the question. What am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? He's the Lord of life. He's creator. He's sustainer. He's redeemer. He's God. He wants to be a friend. He wants to be a protector. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's our righteousness. He's our peace. He's our protector. I could go on and on about who he is, but what am I going to do with him? And here, here's what I'd say today. I just hope when it's all said and done, you go, I want to get to know him. <laughs> I want to get to know him better. I want to love him more. You know, the goal of marriage is to love one another one another more than when you started the journey and to grow old together that's God's will amen oh, that's not very good amen yeah I mean that's God's goal yeah we're gonna grow old together and then when I forget your name maybe you forget mine too and we just sit there and smile at each other 
And I know that sounds kind of cute. It's not cute if, you're, if you've got people that are having those issues. But at the end of the day, man, you're like, God, I just want to be faithful. But what am I going to do? I, you know, what are you going to do with Jesus who you call the Christ? You either, here's, you only got two choices. Write these down. You got two choices with Jesus. Either I accept him, I receive him as payment, as friend, as Lord, as master. I receive Christ. Or I just reject him. I, I push him away. There's only two choices, receive him or reject him. But then a lot of people go, no, oh, no, no, I, I, think, I think there's another option. What? I, I think there's another one. Uh, well, I, I, I'll just, I'll think about him later. I'll just put it off. Here's what I've learned as a pastor of the gospel. If you put off Jesus today, when the Bible says today is the day of salvation, and you just put off Jesus tomorrow, and next week, and it's next month, then it's next year, and honestly, I've seen a lot of this. Then it's next decade. And then it's like next millennium. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you just put off Jesus. When are you ever going to say, I want him now? So today would be the greatest day to say, Christ, what am I going to do with you? I'm going to embrace. I want to uh, in, embrace you with all my being. I want to experience you in your fullness today because this might be my last day. Have you thought about that lately, that today could be your last day? Man, if today is the last day that your heart beat, if today was the last day that you ever got to come into this sanctuary because God had, he's already ordained and appointed us once to, to live and to die and to face judgment. But if, if it's like today was it, you'd be like, man, then I'll, I know what I'm doing with Jesus. I'm going to love him. And man, I'm going to obey him. And I'm going to draw near to him. And I'm going to tell somebody about him. And the church said, well, no, that's your job, preacher. No, 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 no. You ain't read your Bible very good. <laughs> That's all our jobs. Why do you think we're doing this thing in the park over at Sturbridge? It's in, it's, we, we sat down as a leadership team, and we did all the zip codes in our church. And let me tell you about Christ Community. It is diverse, baby. We have, like, we have the most people in 116 and 117 and then Pike Road, and then it goes to 109, and after that I can't keep up with it because it goes to one or two and this. But there, we have a map in the conference room, and we have highlighted where all the people live. And then sometimes, this is, this is the truth, Doug is my witness. Sometimes there are people, they live so far from here, they're not even on the map. And so when people come in, I go, would you, because sometimes I talk about geography, I get a little messed up about you know, where, they, where that is. I say, would you put a mark kind of where you live and it's funny so there's marks on the edge of our map and all these people live in different zones so it's kind of cool that we're not just this neighborhood church but the site but it tells me man then we've got a lot of work we've got a big mission field we're not just here in a little six or seven mile radius i mean there's people that are coming from all over i mean from the time we started the church we've had people i mean when we started the church i never will forget this we had a dentist one time that drove 87 miles one way every sunday morning and they had two boys no here's what's amazing i want you to listen little boys they got here early just saying. I don't, does anybody live in Ryan Ridge across the street right now? Yeah, see, we used to have seven or eight families, so I can pick on them. We used to have somebody that lived over there. Last one to church every Sunday morning. I thought about going by and picking them up when I came, okay? I don't know why I said that, but somebody just said, the fear of the Holy Ghost just got in you, brother. I mean, man, just, yeah, just come. Come early. Celebrate. Serve. Worship. Have a donut with Charles. I don't know. Do something. Okay. Look, look here. 
let's look down here at this gospel. Man, oh, it's 944. Oh, good. I got another hour. Here we go. All right. So I'm just teasing. All right. Verse 13. Let's go back before that. Uh, Release Barabbas instead of Jesus, Pilate asked him. And then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Wow. Some of the worst words ever spoken. Maybe the worst words. Crucify him. Wow. And why Pilate, why Pilate demanded what crime has he committed, but the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a leather-tipped whip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And I know it's not the Easter season, but we're preaching through this gospel, and every time I read it, I'm just drawn to the passion of the Christ, the compassion of my Savior. Crucify him. Do away with him. And then in the next section there, the soldiers, they begin to mock Jesus. Hail him, king of the Jews. They, they make fun of him. They jeer him. They push him down. Here he is, the Lord of glory. And they have no respect and no honor for this great God. There is hatred and bigotry and prejudice and all kind of things coming out against this king. And they just, no. Crucify him. Put him away. Listen to what the psalmist said in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves again the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and his anointing saying let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us just a prophecy there of what would come to pass as they push down this wonderful king so here's back to this question what will you do with jesus in that first blank, I hope you got it, they mocked worship of Jesus. They were mocking him. They weren't honoring him as we came in here this morning to ask God to examine our hearts, as we ask God to receive our praise, as we ask God to receive our accolades and our adoration of him because he's worthy. They mocked him. They spit on him. Eventually, they take a crown of thorns, and they crush it down on his head, and they mock him, and they dress him up in a row. Every time I think about that thorn, and I've, I mean, those are really long thorns. I don't know about you. I'm kind of a wuss. I get a little splinter in my finger. Donna, baby, I think I'm going to need to be amputated. But I still remember when I was a little kid and didn't know Jesus. I, I, I preface that. I didn't know Jesus. We played football in the neighborhood yards. Then nobody had fences, and our yards would run continuously. There was a nice row of bushes, and uh, it had pyrocanther bushes in it. They have little long thorns. My team was down 48 to nothing. This is neighborhood football. It was real official. I got tired of this one little smart boy down the street because he was faster than the rest of us. I wasn't a big boy then, but uh, I, I remember he came running by me, and I thought, I'm going to silence that boy. And I pushed him as he landed in the power canther bush. I know you don't like me now. <laughs> He didn't like me either as I helped take little thorns out of him. Then he said, great words, game's over. He went home. I said, mess with me, turkey. But, I mean, isn't that pitiful? I mean, you know, his mom should come in and beat me up, you know. Pushed her son in a power canther bush. But why don't I tell you that story? I tell you that story because he's the king of glory and they pushed 
just like he'd already been beat beyond recognition and they, and they pushed the crown of thorns down in his head and I can just see that's one more place that blood would draw and after all this mocking he would finally have to walk the Via Della Rosa to the cross to Golgotha what a king so they mocked him look at the second blank verse 21 through 24 Jesus is led away to be crucified look there in verse 21 a passerby named Simon who was from Cyrene was coming in from the countryside just then and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus cross now I want you to know this I want you to write in your Bibles interruption rudely interrupted Simon was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast to celebrate but God had a plan for Simon to carry the cross of his Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. He would pick up the cross because Jesus was so physically destroyed. He had no strength in his body. He was fallen beyond, by the weight of the cross. And here, this one was picked and forced to carry the cross to the place of crucifixion. I go, wow. So Jesus is led away. Golgotha means the place of the skull. Every time, you know, if you listen to Southern gospel music, they sing, we don't tend to sing about Golgotha in the contemporary movement, but the, I know the Southern gospel, you, you hear that a lot. But there they led him away to crucify him. But I want you to move here to verse 25 through 32. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him, and a sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews, two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Yours might say there were two thieves on the cross that were crucified with Jesus. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. And he saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him, mocked him, made fun of him. At least one of them ended up getting it right. But there it is, Jesus going through all this pain and agony and falling by the way of the cross. And then I think about this. I, I want to give you a side margin because this might be a practical application today. I want you to just think about it. Simon was forced to carry the cross of Jesus our Lord. And you do wonder, do you think he was maybe a little resentful, like, why did I get involved in this plan? Because, you know, we, we look back and we go, wow, man, I mean, you, were, you got to suffer, you got to carry this for Jesus. But here's, what I, here's the application I want you to think about. Do you ever grow resentful of the situation that God puts you in to bear suffering or whatever, and it's for his glory? Now, don't raise your hand. I just want you to reflect. Is there ever an opportunity that you resent? I, I, I've been there. Man, I kind of resent this situation. Like, what did I do to get into this thing? Like, if I earned it, if I, if I sinned, and, like, that was my consequence, I mean, that, I understand that. But it's like, man, I was just kind of minding my own business, and, like, here I find myself suffering. So you, you just read about Simon, and I just wonder, I mean, what was his attitude? Of course, we look back, and I think, wow, Simon, thanks for carrying the cross for Jesus. I mean, I'm looking at it from my perspective in 2018, I'm going, wow, Simon carried the 
the instrument of torture for Jesus. He carried it to the hill, to the skull, to be crucified. We read about Simon. Everybody's ever read their Bibles reads about Simon. We know about Simon. It's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. But on that day, I wonder what he thought. And then there was these two other men that had been arrested, these revolutionaries, the New Living Translation calls them. And they're there, and they deserve to be there. I mean, man, they're, they're like serious sinners. They're like, they're thieves. They're thugs. I mean, they're not the guys you want to bring home and meet mama. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, man, but we deserve to be here. I mean, we, we've messed up. What has he done? I mean, what, what has he done? But I love that the one robber, the one thief, the one revolutionary, he throws himself on the mercy of Jesus. Luke records it. Write down Luke 23, 42. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he knew. He knew this wasn't some ordinary man. I mean, I don't know how bright he was, but man, when the whole world changed and everything grew dark and all these things were happening, like, whoa, man, this ain't your common political leader here. This is somebody. This is the son of God, the son of man. He doesn't deserve this kind of punishment. They made these ridiculous claims. They made him up and they, and they charged him with it. And that's why he finds himself on a cross. Come down from the cross. You can't save yourself. Oh, to, if they only knew. Jesus so could have taken care of that right then. But the Bible would have read a lot different. <laughs> and we wouldn't have been in the covenant of grace this morning. Amen. And Jesus endured that agony and that pain. Thinking about you and me. And you're saying, Pastor, man, you've talked about this over the years. Well, man, this is gospel. I've got to talk about it. And every time I talk about it, I want to find new conviction and new passion. But more than that, I want to find new love for my Savior. I want to be more devoted to Christ than I am anything else. Don't you? Don't you, church? Don't you want to be more devoted to a, a God that would suffer? The suffering servant. That's who Jesus is. What he's won. What he's about to endure. But I want to give you a verse as I was studying Amos. I love it. A-M-O-S, not A-M-I-S. Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in a clear day. He's talking about this event here we find in this gospel of Mark, when the earth grew dark. Wow, you're saying, man, this, Amos was written sometime before this account. Sure was. That's the way our God is. In Exodus, it says that God sent darkness upon the land of Egypt as a sign of his coming judgment. And when the darkness fell on Israel that day, God was signaling to us the judgment of the nation, the judgment of Israel, the judgment of the people. That's how horrific my sin and your sin is to Jesus. And yet that darkness had silenced. When the earth grew dark, everybody grew stunned quiet and silent before holy god and they were starting to maybe get it a lot of them probably didn't but i bet some did and, and when you read of the accounts next week and you read others it's the women that always seem to get it faster than the men turn to the man next to you told you oh y'all don't want to do that okay but women do tend to get clued in a lot of times quicker than we do and they they figured it out i think faster than we did it took them a while to get to the to the tomb to the empty tomb but what I love is Jesus is moved with compassion for all humanity. And he's moved with compassion for the thieves, the revolutionaries at the cross.
And yet they're saying, wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah will come and deliver him. Let's delay this death, some of the people are saying there. And you just move on through here, but I want you to move down here. So in verse 33, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land. you got to go back. And, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's what Jesus was in the place of abandonment, a place of brokenness. Verse 37, and then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil was ripped. And when the Roman officer who stood forcing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, the man truly, this man truly was the son of God. Exclamation point. He was, he is, and he always will be the son of glory. The satyrian here, he had witnessed a lot of executions, but never one like this. Never the lamb of God that John had talked about in his gospel. Here's what I love about Jesus. He held his peace when he was crucified. He, he didn't really speak. He was just at one with the Father. The other guys listened as Christ prayed for his adversaries and his enemies, those against him. They saw the tender ministry of the Lord to his mother Mary as he looked down from a cross to see her, to comfort her. The guys, all the people there that day saw how Jesus would reach out to the dying thieves on the cross. They saw the darkness that I just spoke about that covered the earth. There was just something different about this man, Jesus. And this morning, there's something different about Jesus. <laughs> He's not like any other man. Man lives and breathes and has life and dies and is no more. To the Lord calls him home. And in this life, this one, he lived and breathed and died on a cross and was buried and seemed to be nothing from him. And three days later, he got up and arose. Hallelujah. <laughs> and that's what we celebrate next weekend as we come to the close of this gospel narrative called Mark. Truly, he was the son of God. Look at verse 40. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome, and they had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So let's get to these blanks. I want you to make sure. Jesus is led away to be crucified, 25 through 32. Jesus is placed on the cross that I've been talking about, 33 through 41. Jesus now dies alone. Jesus dies on a cross where this darkness had prevailed. In that verse 39, I love that passage. I, I'd circle it in your Bible or highlight it when you get home. Surely, surely, this man was no man. Surely, this man was the Son of God that reigns and lives forever. That's what we say as we look back because we have a unique perspective. We know about resurrection that he gets up. And these women, how they reveal their love and their devotion. And I like it, but look, look at, move down with me. Verse 42 through 47, Jesus is laid in the tomb. Hear, hear this with me this morning. This has all happened on a Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath evening approached. Joseph of Marimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. 
Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked him if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross. He wrapped it in the cloth, and he laid it in the tomb that had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. And Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. And this brings us right here toward the end of this part of the story. Joseph of Arimathea. He's one of my heroes. Maybe he's not doing it all right before now, obviously. But at this point, what I love about Joseph is Joseph seems to be a secret disciple. Write that in your notes. I didn't put it in there. Joseph seems to be a secret Christian. But here, what does he have to gain? He thinks it's over. But he takes a risk. Joseph becomes bold. And so I was thinking about us this morning. What is God calling us to do individually as believers? To take risk of faith, to be bold and audacious in our faith, to stand up, to be counted. That's what I see about Joseph. Joseph stood up and he was counted for his Lord. I mean, he provided a place. Now, granted, we look back and go, hey, it was only for three days, dude. Like, you could have my car for three days as long as I can get it back. I mean, you know, he gave up a grave place, a tomb. I mean, you know, like, well, I hope, I hope he didn't stay there. <laughs> and he didn't. He didn't need it. I mean, three days. I mean, it probably seemed like eternity to all of them. But here it is. In verse 43, he asked for the body of Jesus. Let me tell you something about history. When people were crucified... And they were really professional at this crucifixion thing. Sometimes they would crucify so many. Bodies would just mount up. And they would cart them off and throw them in the dump called Guyana. It was a big city dump of garbage and rubbish and whatever. And it would have bodies. But Joseph, this was Jesus and he didn't want that for him. He wanted, a, he wanted a tomb. He wanted a place of burial. He, he, he did the right thing. He stood up. There's all this evidence of the death of Jesus. I could take you through passage after passage and this strange covering of the land that we talked about earlier, the darkness. I, I still am I'm, I'm marveled about that. But I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm going to land this plane pretty quick. Paul says, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became sin for us, for me, for you. That I might somehow trust, abide, receive his atonement, his value, his worth to cover my filthy, ragged sin. Why did the veil split in two? I asked Caitlin and my friends to come now. They'd gathered around the cross, hatred and malice against this Jesus. And now they're going to crucify him, and they do. And then they go and they lay him in a tomb. And D.L. Moody, I love what D.L. Moody says. Listen to these words. 
He was a great evangelist of his day, and he had a very imaginative brain, and he said this. What happened after Jesus rose from the dead? Moody says he gathered his disciples in Jerusalem and said to them, Men, I want you to go and find the priests who mocked me and who hurl in my teeth and the taunt. And he saved others himself he could not save. Explain to them that if I had saved myself, they would have been doomed men. But tell them, I love this, what Moody says. But tell them, there is a way wide open to my Father through me. Jesus said it this way, and you know it well. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus just provided an entrance, a wide open gate. The Bible says, wide is the gate and broad to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that's the road I invite us to follow today and tomorrow and every day to move toward him. Charles Wesley, out of my theological training and development, he was a great hymn writer. And he wrote an old song called, Can It Be? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And that's where I leave us, leave us today. What a God that would die and give his life up freely as a ransom that I can't pay, that I might know freedom and eternal life. That's where we find ourselves this morning. That's what God says about us, that we are forgiven in Christ. Would you pray with me? And when we finish this prayer, Caitlin is going to go into probably in my top five songs that I listen to. And I pray you'll sing along and you'll worship. But let's pray. Father, we have marveled and journeyed through Mark in these months. And today we find ourselves journeying toward the cross and death of Jesus. And Lord, we marvel at the grace and what amazing love that Christ had and has for us. And Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves allowing you to appropriate, that we would have your life, your blood applied to us, that we would be found righteous in Christ, trusting in his atonement, in his blood, in his resurrection for eternal life. Not that we can do anything else, but to trust and have faith. Give us faith. Give us saving faith and reign supreme in this house, in our hearts. Oh God, you say, oh God, you say, you are the king.